Hillbilly Horror Stories presents Eerie Encounters. I've always been convinced that the house in which I grew up was haunted. This despite the fact that it was a new house, built in the summer that I turned 15. The old house it replaced was built by my grandfather and was one of the first ever built in Pocahontas County, Iowa. The original house had not been haunted. Our new farm home was about three miles northwest of a small Iowa town of Rolfe and not equipped with electric lighting. For years, it was only the noises that frightened me. I was 21 before I ever saw a ghost. These noises were principally rapping and footsteps, usually tramping about in the attic over my room, but sometimes in the upstairs hall. There was also the sound of boxes being dragged about on the attic floor. And very often, there were sharp raps on my ceiling, as if someone was tapping hard on the attic floor with a cane. There were several old canes up there, leaning against the wall. They had belonged to my grandfather. But when I went up to the attic in daylight to investigate, nothing ever seemed to be out of place. I think the most eerie sound of all was an omnipresent click. On the nights when they were there, this soft, faint click seemed to be everywhere in the room. It was an unearthly sound that I had never heard anywhere else. It is impossible to describe my terror on these nights. I often lay bathed in the cold sweat of fear. When things got too bad, I would go to my parents' room and wake them. There never was a time, though, when they could hear the same things that I heard. But the strange thing is that otherwise, they seemed to sleep right through it all. Neither they nor my younger brothers or sisters seemed frightened. As my parents' religious beliefs forbade a belief in ghosts, they would at first say that it was my nerves. But... As they started to admit that they heard the sounds too, they started looking for some natural explanation, although they never offered one. The summer I was 21 and back home after a year of teaching school, both my mother and I saw it. On a peaceful summer night about 10 o'clock, I was lying wide awake in my bed. The whole family had retired early, as is the custom of most farm people. Hearing a slight sound at my door, I looked to see the door open. There stood a man with his hand on the doorknob. He was dressed in this overall light gray garment like a suit of long underwear. The light was too dim for me to distinguish his features, but it seemed to me that it was the figure of a young man. I tried to think that it must be my brother who occupied the room next to mine. I called his name, but he didn't answer. Now at this point, I'm not sure whether I screamed and he then turned away, or whether it was the other way around. At any rate, he moved from the door out of my vision, and my mother, hearing my screams, came from her room to mine, just in time to see the figure leaving my door. As she told it, she thought that she saw my brother, Noble. He was dressed in his dark Sunday suit, walking away from my room and into his own. She then followed into my brother's room and even on into the clothes closet where the figure just disappeared. My mother was in a state of great confusion and coming back said, Why wasn't Noble here? But although Noble was sound asleep in his bed, she actually had seen this figure and seen it vanish. She never admitted that she had seen a ghost. Years later, when we argued over this, she said that it might have been a hallucination, to which I replied that hallucinations can't open doors, and this one did. 
Now, there's a sequel to this, but there's no conclusion, as I never have learned of any reason why this house should have been haunted. No crime, no murder, or tragedy ever took place here. Hell, no one even died here. So some years after, I had married and come home for a visit, bringing my baby. I was given the downstairs bedroom. I think it was the second night of my visit when I was waked out of a sound sleep by the distinct sensation of being wrapped on the top of the head with a ruler or a small stick. It was not a dream. It was a definite physical sensation and it gave me a rude shock. The room was pitch dark. I could see absolutely nothing, but I was so frightened that I dashed upstairs to call mother. She came downstairs with me, carefully closing the bedroom door and got into bed with me. But we were no sooner in the bed than the door reopened. I heard the creaking of its hinges. Then something like a small dog bounded across the wood floor. I could hear its claws as it struck the floor, but it was too dark to see anything. Whatever it was must have been running blind, for it would go, trump, 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 wham, first bumping into one wall and then into the opposite wall very hard. After a few minutes of this, it seemed to gallop into the closet, and we didn't hear another sound from it. My mother exclaimed in surprise, I didn't know we had any rats in here. I answered, that was no rat. As soon as it went into the closet, she got up and closed the door in order to trap the quote-unquote rat. She said that she would let the dog in there the first thing in the morning. This she did, but of course the dog found nothing. As the farm passed out of my father's hands sometime later, I have no way of knowing whether subsequent occupants were troubled by these hauntings. This story was sent by Bernice in Chicago, Illinois. In June of 2004, my daughter and her husband decided to take a trip. They asked my husband and myself if we would stay in their apartment in L.A. and take care of Happy, their cat. We had been there for a few days when I noticed a key in the clothespin bag hanging outside on the clothesline. I soon discovered that the key fit the door to my daughter's apartment. When I asked the landlady about it, she said that my daughter and her husband often forgot their key and since the screen door had a safety catch on it, she left the key in a clothes bag for them. I felt a little nervous about leaving that key outside, but the landlord assured me that no one else knew about it. Well, a few days later, my husband and I went to the races at Hollywood Park. We got home about 7 p.m. My husband was very tired, and he went to bed about a half hour later. When I walked into the bedroom, I noticed that he had thrown his pants over the chair and although his billfold containing $57 and all his personal cards were still in the pocket, I hung them up. I slept soundly that night until about 4 a.m. when I heard Happy scratching at the door. After letting the cat out, I thought vaguely that I had forgotten to lock the door. But since the safety catch was on the screen, I went back to bed. When my husband awoke the next morning, he looked for his billfold, but it wasn't in his pocket. We searched the entire apartment even emptied all the drawers without finding it. Eventually, our daughter and her husband returned home, and we, of course, went back home without the billfold. Six months later, 
and the following January, we attended a spiritualist meeting. It was the usual procedure, a service and then mediums giving individual readings. When the medium got to me, she said, Your father is here. He says the word happy. He says that he saw you taking care of a cat. It's not your cat, and he mentions the word happy again. It's the name of the cat, I said. The medium asked me whether I wanted to ask a question. So, I inquired, what became of the billfold? The medium replied that she received the number 57. She saw someone come in and remove the billfold during the night, but she said it would be returned soon with the money. I had small hope of this since so much time had gone by. Human nature being what it is, the odds were against us ever seeing that money again. Or at least that's what I thought. Two days later, my daughter telephoned. She said that she had found Charlie's wallet and it had $57 in it. I asked where in the world she found it because I knew that she had given the complete house a good cleaning after we left that June. My daughter said that she had found it just a few minutes earlier. She went to take something out of a middle dresser drawer, and when she opened it, there was the billfold right in plain sight, laying on top of all of her things. Now, there are several lines of conjecture in regard to the mystery. The supposed thief felt some kind of pressure to make restitution, either from his own conscience or through spirit intervention. Another possibility lies in the more incredible fact that I have had things simply disappear and reappear through what is called deportation. The thief had no intention of returning this purse, but it was apported from his or her possession into the drawer. Probably we will never know what really happened. And that's from Dulcie in Fresno, California. I was raised by my Aunt Mary Hicks since my mother died before I was two years old. Just the two of us lived there in an old, old farmhouse out of La Follette, Tennessee. Ghosts were the last things that we thought about, I assure you. On a rainy summer night nearly 30 years ago, when I was 11 or 12 years old, we had gone to bed as usual right around dark. In those days, country folk didn't burn kerosene to make light when sleeping was cheaper. It was about 10 o'clock and we were awakened by a horse. Not a horse in the house, but one walking around outside. Walking and snorting, of all things. We lay waiting for the horse to go away. There were flowers in the front yard and we knew that the horse was trampling them. But it wouldn't go away. It just kept snorting and stomping really close to the house. Finally, I went outside to chase it away, but I found nothing to chase. There was no horse anywhere around the house. It was dark, of course, but not too dark to see a large animal. I figured that it had just wandered off while I was getting outside. I looked around a little and then went back in the house. A few minutes later, with a snort and a stomp, the old horse was back. Again, I went outside. Again, no horse. This time, I didn't look so long for it because I was beginning to think something just wasn't quite right. This horse noise kept up for the next two hours or so. Then, all was quiet for the rest of the night. 
Bright and early the next morning, we went out to see how much damage our guest had done. Nowhere around the house, front or back, was there a horse track or so much as a broken blade of grass. Several times in the years that followed, we heard them same noises, but never were we able to find a track or any sign of a horse. When I was about 18 years old, we moved out of that house, and my uncle, who had lived there as a boy, moved in. I once asked him if he ever heard any strange noises at night. No, he answered. I've never heard any strange noises that I can think of. You mean you never heard a horse at night? Oh, that, he smiled. I've heard that horse all my life. One stormy night, in about 1840, a man riding a horse was killed by lightning on top of that ridge. Since then, on some stormy nights, that horse has been hunting his master and probably will from now on. But it don't bother me none. That was from Jesse Hicks, La Follette, Tennessee. On the last night of February 2009, when I retired, I was unable to fall asleep. I was nervous and restless, which was very unusual, as I never have any difficulty falling asleep quickly. When I finally did manage to sleep, it was more like a series of light naps than a sound sleep. I woke from one of my naps with such a start that I sat straight up in bed. Standing at the foot of my bed, her arms stretched out toward me, was a very dear cousin of mine. I was unable to move, but in a moment or two, controlled my voice enough to call her name. She immediately disappeared. I glanced at the clock on my bedside table. It was 9.30 p.m. I obviously dismissed my vision, chalking it up to my nervousness or a dream, and went back to sleep. The next morning, I picked up the paper and sat down to read while I drank my coffee. Across the top of the paper were the big headlines. Prominent woman suicides. It was my cousin. When I could control the shaking of my hands enough to hold the paper, I read on to find out that the time of her death had been somewhere between 9 and 10 o'clock. My vision of her had come at 9.30. She was president of the PTA and had gone to the meeting on the previous evening, but had returned to her home by 9 o'clock for some much-needed documents that she'd forgotten to bring with her. When she failed to return, some of the other PTA members called the house and, failing to get an answer, went out there. The house was locked and dark, and further investigation found my cousin lying in the garage in a pool of blood. She had shot herself in her head. I've told the story of her appearance to me to several people. They all think I was dreaming. I now reject this idea. The coincidence of such a dream and the actual death of this same cousin at the same time is too great. I think I was sitting up in bed, wide awake, and I feel that my cousin was trying to tell me something. What that something was, only eternity will reveal. That story was from Mary in Union City, Pennsylvania. You have been listening to Hillbilly Horror Stories Presents eerie encounters if you have an eerie encounter that you would like read on the show please send it to hillbillyhorrorstories at gmail.com